Hi, everybody. Welcome to Wholehearted Loving. I'm Stephanie. Hi, I'm Georgiana. <laughs> We're having a giggle. Um, we are going to wrap up. We've been doing this multi-part segments on love and the various forms that's taken or we've not been able to identify in our life. Um, and it's kind of meandered. We're going to wrap it up theoretically today. Um, something to do with this mom fruit story. Georgiana has a way to tie this together. So uh, that's what we're going to do today. But first, we're going to do a body connection practice. I want to propose a bit of a different kind of practice, Steph. That's exciting. Um, what you were doing just as we were pressing record reminded me of the turkey dance. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I wonder if we could do like a sitting turkey dance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What was the whole phrase? Flow like water, dance like a turkey. Yes. yes. Yeah, great. Pretty hard to take life or yourself too seriously when you're dancing like a turkey. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. My turkey, I think, is a bit chickenish. <laughs> it's like a little howling turkey. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. If you guys are listening, today's the day to be watching. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Am I regulated now? <laughs> I certainly feel alive now. That's a great way to clear the head. It's like doing yoga or breath work, but it's dancing like a turkey. And it's important. Silliness is important, especially like I'm so I'm such a good thinker. And I'm so good at being serious and embracing silly and looking like a fool is actually something I had to practice really hard at because I was so afraid to look dumb and stupid. Mm. And it was something that was highly like not encouraged growing up to be right. silly and playful. And I would be so concerned of like, what is if someone, what would someone think of me? if I was like dancing like a turkey on a podcast, like that would have been my old thought, like, God, no, I would never do that. And yeah. so it's just so freeing to be like, you know what? That's a part of me too. Yeah. Turkey. <laughs> so good. Great. Thank you. Well, now that we're settled in, <laughs> how do you want to wrap up this uh, mom fruit story? Well, I remember you asked me, you know, something along the lines of what did you do? What did you work on so that you were able to say, yes, mom, please, I want some fruit. Buy me the strawberries and the mangoes. Mm. Because in the past, I would have just been pissed off that I just told my mom something really heart wrenching and she wants to buy me fruit. And that's right. the response. And I think in the last couple episodes, we share part of that process of what we practiced that was really helpful for me. I needed to practice receiving that level of emotional presence and warmth and love and support from women in my women's group, from 
friends who I have had for a long time, but I wasn't really willing to share the hard stuff or I wasn't putting myself in the role of receiving from them. I I tended to be the person who people went to who were having a hard time. Never really let myself be on the flip side of that and go to my friends and share what was hard for me. I, I had the habit of sharing what was hard for me with people after I had gone through it mm-hmm. versus sharing when I'm in the middle of it, needing support. Because I told myself, I don't need help. I'm fine. I can handle this myself. And that's what I learned not getting that from my parents growing up. So I had to relearn. I had to learn how to let people help me. And so what I found was when I began saying kinder things to myself, when I began not making myself wrong for however I was feeling or what I was needing, the things I really wanted from my parents, and I learned how to receive that from people, ask for that from people who are willing and able and have capacity to. I learned how to discern and, and find out what that looks like. Who are the people who are willing and able and have capacity to give in those ways mm-hmm. and are happy to generously give in those ways? I learned to ask those people for those things. Do you remember or did you have a point in your personal growth? I know I've heard this from other people and I've experienced it myself where you started connecting, you started sharing And so then it's like, oh, well, I need to tell all of the people, like, it's not which one do I call, which, which person feels good to call right now. It's like, I need to call all of them because they are all my support network. Yes. I remember very distinctly, this is actually a really helpful thing for me in my life, really distinctly knowing the flavors of my friendships and what each person likes to give and gives naturally and gives quite freely. And I, because I was, became more aware of my needs, what my needs were when I was having a hard time. Do I need a laugh? Do I need someone to, you know, whisk me off and we go on an adventure and I totally forget what's hard for a while? Do I need someone to point out my blind spots? You know, like depending on what I needed, I had now like a list of friends who fit the bill for that. And Mm -hmm. I remember feeling like, okay, it's time to reach out because normally you just sit here and stew by yourself. And so even that was a big shift to be like, okay, I need to call someone. I need to tell someone I'm having a hard time and ask for help. And before I did that, I would check in and ask myself what I needed. And there'd be some times where it was very distinctly I need to talk to Steph and it would be, or it'd be distinctly, I need to call Julie or I need to call Shay or I need to call so-and-so because I felt there was a type of energy and presence that I needed. Yes. Right. And I, and I wouldn't expect you all to be able to give in the same way. Right. And why that really helped me, was because on the flip side, I remember a time where I might have taken it really personally if someone didn't choose me, didn't call me for support, didn't call me for something, 
right? To hang out or whatever. Why would you call them and not me? I thought I was your friend, you know? Yes. And also never say that to someone. I would just stew about these things. Yeah, of course. And yeah. everything's fine. Um, <laughs> but what it made me realize is we all bring something different, something that's unique. And we all need different things at different times. And how amazing is it that I have just the right friend for when I need this and just the right friend for when I need this. And I want to be able to choose who I connect with at different points in my life based on what I'm needing. And I want other people to experience that too. So if it means they're going to call a different person instead of me, good. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and that was really, um, really life-changing for me because I stopped taking those things personally after that. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's just energies, right? What energy do I want to be in? What energy is going to complement or support the energy that I need? This is making me think of the famous uh, adage of women not knowing what they want to eat for dinner. And the answer is, I don't know, you pick. And then the pit, the choice is wrong. And no, I actually did want something. You can go with this work. You can go from not knowing what you want for dinner to knowing exactly what flavor and mouthfeel and atmosphere and sounds and energy you want around you. And it requires, though, that you give yourself permission to go into a discovery period. Yeah. Right? Either a discovery period because you're actually unsure of what the options are and what your preferences are, or permission to speak up for what you actually know you want. Yeah. yeah and letting that be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, as I learned how to receive the things I wanted to get from my parents, from other people, I no longer needed that in the same way for my parents. And so I could look at them and just love them for what they could offer, what was easy for them to give and know that they love me and they do support me. Their ways of showing love are very different. And it doesn't mean that I should only need love in that way. I'm allowed to need love in all sorts of ways, but they might be not be the people to give it to me in the particular way that I want. And one analogy that's really stuck with me, I don't know why it came to me one day, but I had realized what I was doing with my mom specifically and it created a lot of resentment on my part and probably a lot of hurt feelings and confusion on her part was I was going to the butcher for a cake or <laughs> going to the bakery to buy a steak. Yeah, that's from I, Phil. That's what I was thinking. Okay, is that what it's from? Like, I was trying to get from my mother something that she didn't have to offer not in that particular way. And I would be like banging my head on the wall and so mad and frustrated and then making it mean all sorts of awful stuff about me and her and our relationship and the future of our relationship. When I really just need to step back and see that this is not what she sells. Yeah. <laughs> this is not what's in the display case. Yeah. She's got a whole lot of other stuff in her display case for me to choose from. Yeah. Well, this is a great analogy because yeah. we will walk into the butcher and ask for a cake. And instead of our loved ones saying, I don't, I, I don't sell cake, get out of here. 
They're like, why? I don't have any cake. Here, here's a steak. Here's some ground round. Here's a T-bone. What? How, and we're like, why are you still offering us not cake and getting upset about it? Right? So I just had to learn to, if I need a steak, I need to go to the butcher. And for me, that was if I need emotional support in the, I love you, come cry here with me. You know, I'm here for you. I'll support you. That kind of stuff. It makes sense that you're feeling this way. I needed to go to a different shop. And for me, that was to my friends in our women's group. And then you were saying this earlier, then that bucket is full. Yeah. We don't need it in the same way from other people who can't give it to us. It became so full that I'm like, if my mom could give me a little bit, maybe she had a side basket of like, have a side little basket cakes. of little cakes. <laughs> give you a tiny bite of a cake, but I can't give you like a three tier cake. Right? But I'm like, that's great. I'll take the tiny taster bite, you know, because I get my three tier cakes from these people. Yeah. And also that maybe now she also has cupcakes. <laughs> Right. That that's the other thing. What is what I noticed is my mom and my dad, their ability to bring that softness has grown over time. I think they're just less stressed out. Things change, people grow, people evolve. You know, people have the willingness and capacity to look at their own part, you know, over time. Sometimes in my in my parents' case, I do notice a shift. And it's nice to be able to see them through a new lens, see them for who they're being today. Yeah. Yeah. It's also because we're expressing ourselves in this way. You know, it's great. We've done all this work for ourselves and it's changed all of our relationships and it's changed the way we are with our parents. And in this format, we can express so much more of ourselves in ways that you just don't in conversation with people usually or with parents maybe especially and they're able to hear this and see this and learn us in new ways and that changes the way they interact as well mm-hmm. sharing is such a big deal knowing how to share is such a big deal yeah knowing how to share <laughs> reminds me of i used to not share at all mm-hmm. right and keep everything locked down because I learned sharing just causes more pain, you know? And then when I realized, well, that's, that's not a helpful way to do life and relationships. Then I went like the total opposite and (laughs) the spectrum pendulum swung the other way. And I would share everything and call it vulnerability and transparency (laughs) until one day I realized actually that's just emotional verbal vomit. Now Mm. I'm starting to tell you, everything that either you haven't earned the right to hear yet, or it's not relevant to the Mm -hmm. situation, or it's my stuff to work through. But you got to share it all so that you can learn what's what. I'm going to tell you everything, right? And tell you how I think you suck. That was especially (laughs) one of the things that I leaned into that side really hard Mm -hmm. because I was always the sweet girl, the nice girl who's only going to say nice things to you. And like, well, I learned that that's no way to live. So it must mean I need to be the angry bitch and tell you all the things that you do wrong. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then there comes a time when I realize, well, that really isn't creating fulfilling relationships and experiences either. And then you sort of drop that, that pendulum sort of swings back in the middle. You find what that new flow is going to be. Right? Yeah. I think we've got backlogs too, right? We've got backlogs of unexpressed energy, unexpressed words. When that pendulum swings away from the personality you've carefully crafted to be accepted and that we find doesn't fulfill us at all. When we swing the other direction, it's clunky. It's opposite. It's different. It's big. It's uncalibrated. Which way did you like, what was your sort of protective way, personality way of being? And then did you notice a swing all the way to one side and then a recalibration? What was it like for you? Definitely. And all in the vein of controlling, right? So yeah, I went from not sharing anything to sharing everything. I certainly like a lot of what you're saying is reminding me of, of dating apps and telling men how things are. You know, I had quite the attitude there and, and quite a set of hateful assumptions about men that caused the truths I was sharing to be harsh and not so truthy, really. But I think for me, I went more from being very defended to being very soft and open. Mm -hmm. um, so that required some calibration and discernment. So I was, I just cried a lot. I cried a lot, a lot, a lot. And um, yeah, sorting that through. When did you Becoming... that you had gone to this other extreme that also wasn't really helpful? Um, I think the beginnings of it were that I was way too open. It's funny because I was very closed down and like locked down, but also way too open and boundaryless. Like those really go together, right? I've got to shut down and lock it down because I'm way too open in other areas. Um, I think there was a, a big softening after a few rounds of conscious relationship training and a couple of years in women's group in the relationship I was in, which was objectively a bad relationship, but I was so soft and open and vulnerable in it. Mm. And I remember at some point becoming protective of myself and realizing that all of this softness and vulnerability was not appropriate to be having in, mm. in that relationship. Oh, so good. This reminds me of like the superpower conversation, mm. right? Where like, if I listen to you, I'm like, Steph, you, you had a superpower of like being like harsh and to the point. And I mean that as a superpower, right? Like that was a superpower I did not possess, right? Mm. And you're starting to notice, hey, I don't want to live just using that superpower in my life. It causes certain impacts in my life and relationships that aren't what I want. So then you practice growing the other superpower, which is like softness and vulnerability and that loving energy and seeing people's good intentions. And we need to, I think, embrace and acknowledge what our superpowers are. And often those are the things we think are too much about ourselves or, you know, something's wrong with it, but really it's a superpower. And then we need to grow the opposite muscle. But what I find is, really important is to realize when we have power is when we have many superpowers we can access and when we can discern 
between which superpower do I want to use in this moment to what degree with whom? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what I hear you saying. You're like, oh, I developed this other superpower. And then I wasn't making that discernment of, is this the relationship and is this the person to be using this with all the time? Yeah. Because actually I wasn't being treated well. And here I am bringing just softness and vulnerability and tenderness. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I really feel like there are energies and people that are for us, you know, and we have to get in tune with these aspects of ourselves to be in the right place. And all of that learning is going to look clunky and feel wrong because we're learning, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want people to, especially as we start to learn this stuff about ourselves, we can really crap on ourselves for feeling like we're not doing the right thing or not doing it well enough or needing to change relationships or whatever. I really want people to sink into the notion that everything is a learning experience, getting us closer to our true selves getting us closer to the situations and circumstances and people and jobs and lovers that feel good for us. I think that's a great way to look at life. And I think it's really helped my mental health to be able to look at life that way. Like if you outwardly look at my life on paper, mm, not together with my like ex, I have an ex-husband, right? We're not together. Had a relationship after that, that this dude just walked off out of nowhere. Things were great. And then there was Daryl who died in really tragic ways. I can look at my life and relationships and be like, man, you really effed up your life. <laughs> like, how did you get yourself in this situation? but I have never felt that way. I've never seen it that way. Ha and that doesn't mean I never felt sad or confused or hurt or angry throughout those different experiences and that I needed to tend to those feelings, but I was able to see what purpose they served in my life and how each relationship taught me more about myself and what I need and what I don't need and what feels good, what feels good and what doesn't. Right. And each of them showed me parts of myself I needed to accept more deeply. And it reminds me of Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, I believe. Mm, yes. And I read that during some of the darkest times of my life. And he talks about how he survived the Holocaust. And what stuck for me was that the importance of finding purpose and meaning to the hard things in your life. And I'm very grateful that I was able to do that because I look at my life and I I'm happy about my life. But at the same time, I could imagine that lots of people might look at those markers in my life and be like, how can you be happy? Aren't you miserable? Don't you have no faith in men and relationships? And that's not how I feel at all. I'm excited yeah. for the next chapter. Right. Yeah. Meaning making is really important for me. Um, this is like my everyday life is just a meaning making machine. 
Mm-hmm. And the way we tell our stories is so important when it comes to making meaning of our lives and our experiences. I remember, I think it was actually Helen who said in women's group one day that she was accepting the story of her life. She was learning to accept that this was her story. Mm-hmm. And that was so eye-opening for me because I think I hadn't really looked, I'd looked past in the, into the past as a sort of a therapeutic tool for maybe why do I today feel this way or that way, but really acknowledging what I thought my story was at that point mm-hmm. highlighted so much about how I thought I needed to be, all the parts of myself I was hiding from, really looking at that and accepting it and reframing it in this way changes everything. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful, right? How we choose to see the story of our life because it can either leave us in victim mode or it can leave us feeling more empowered about our lives. And by that, I don't mean we haven't gone through hard stuff and sometimes we're actually the victim of abuse or crime and healing needs to happen um but can we combine that healing with also finding what it's going to mean for you that leaves you feeling empowered and that change is possible and that there's hope yeah and that's why victor frankl's story was so meaningful for me i mean how do you tap into faith and hope while being in a concentration camp right have you seen the movie Life is Beautiful? Is that? No. It's no. in a concentration camp. It's a man and his daughter are captured by Nazis and put in a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. And the man's only interest in is in showing his daughter that life is beautiful and having every day be as fun for her as it possibly could be. And she didn't have the experience of being in a concentration camp the same way that someone who was mm. you know appropriately victimized but there's a, a woe is me way of you can embody that woe is me or you can diffuse your focus mm-hmm. even in really horrifying circumstances yeah and it doesn't mean you discount the horror and the pain it yeah. means i widen the lens to yes. also include something else yeah and that's what it sounds like this movie is about Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. The mom fruit story. Mom fruit story. Did we cover what you wanted to? I know when we came into this conversation, you wanted to talk about the reframing of that, how you were able to accept this love in this way that you might not have been able to recognize before. Yeah, I mean, I I think we touched on things and really the the main um, realization for me that day that mom offered me fruit is I'm really proud of myself for acknowledging that these needs were true that I had. I was just looking for them from someone who didn't have the ability to give them not because she didn't love me, just didn't have the ability at that time. And so I shifted from believing that she didn't love me. I wasn't worth it. She's never going to get me to being able to see my mom through a lens of this woman loves me. 
deeply. She would do anything that she knew how to do (laughs) to show me that. And it's okay that she doesn't know how to do it in all of the ways or in the ways that were really important for me. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to receive the love that is present mm-hmm. and receive it. And it reminds me of, um, I'll tie back to the five love languages. Mm-hmm. I remember someone, it might've been my friend Kat asked me one day, or we had a conversation about it. And we talked about how do we love ourselves according to our love languages? Do we give ourselves love according to our love languages? Right. And for me, what I notice is my top two love languages have been words of affirmation and physical touch. And if I look back at my childhood, it's because those are the two I felt were so lacking. My parents were so good at giving through acts of service. That was really their thing. Mm. And I was like, I don't want you to give me the oranges. Right. That was probably an act of service and a gift in their mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, just give me the hugs and the, I love you's and I'm proud of you. And the more I practice loving myself, according to my top two love languages, things begin to change. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, I'll link to the love languages. If people don't know what their love language is, there's a quiz you can take online. There's probably a hundred quizzes you can take online. Um, Yeah, all helpful tools for learning ourselves and giving ourselves what we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, like we're talking a lot about, am I willing to receive what I need from the people who can give it? But also, I think it's important to touch on if I don't have capacity to give what someone's asking for, am I willing to say that? Mm-hmm. see that you're asking for this. I don't have it in me to give right now. What I do have to offer is this. Yeah. Right. And then it becomes their choice whether they want that or not. Or I see what you're asking for. I hear what you're asking for. I don't have capacity to give it right now, but how about on the weekend? Mm-hmm. Right. Those, that yeah. way of just clarifying what's true for you. Yeah takes away so much confusion and resentment so much yeah you said something last uh last episode about trusting my no Mm -hmm. you were able to ask me because you trusted my no and that was not an easy thing like that again is work all of this stuff is work i was an overgiver and a caretaker and i would say yes 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 to everything um so coming to trust your no exercising your no Mm-hmm. is uh, very important, very life-changing, and also helps people trust you. I think I thought that telling people no would displease them. I would lose favor in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, people come to trust me more. And I, and I trust myself more, right? And, and I can love more as a result. Yeah, and it's easy to be your friend. And it's easy to have you as a friend because I know. Like, mm-hmm. you don't say yes to things that you don't want to be doing. And Thank so God. anytime we're doing something together, that doesn't even have to cross my mind. Like there's no doubt in my mind. Like she wants to be here. I know she does. And the second that that changes, I know that she will let me know. Yeah. 
or and I never have to guess like do they actually want to be here (laughs) are they actually enjoying themselves and do I now have to pretzel myself into like do like being a way I think she wants me to be so maybe she'll stay and she does actually want to be here like oh my gosh so much work (laughs) yeah right we don't want to give people more work just being with us and really when we're letting our anxieties run us that's what's happening and I, I want you to know too that there are things that for me might naturally be a no but that I know you love and I want to have the experience of being with you loving something. So I would say yes to it, you know, like there's layers that I can access now that I wouldn't have been able to before because I was so locked into one way that I thought I needed to be. Yeah. And like, and yet still that yes is a a yes. Yeah. Yeah, It's a yes. I really want to experience that. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think I would have been really rigid in my nose before as well. Like there wouldn't have been room for it when I was learning what a no was. It was just like, nope, that's a full body no for me. See you later. That's Whereas totally how now, you say it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a no from me dog. Or I'll just send you the American Idol meme. That's a no from me dog with Randy Jackson. So such a good, good meme. Good tip. If you're learning your no, you can just download some memes and send those. People will understand. It makes it more relatable somehow. But being, yeah, so that pendulum swing from all the yeses to, oh, this feels like a no. There's definitely space within those no's that um, it takes discernment to access and practice. And I guess I had to fill my bucket of no's <laughs> so that I had room elsewhere. No. Well, I think that's the thing is when we're always used to saying yes and we're terrified of saying no, <laughs> there's a whole lot of no's living in us that never got to come out, right? Isn't that, are we talking about the terrible twos? <laughs> is that what it is? But as an adult, like a born again self-awareness thing. That's why I'm actually so excited. I don't always love it as a mom when my kids say no, but there is a sense of pride when they say no. I'm like, oh, they know how to say no. They trust our relationship enough to say no. They know that you can love someone and say no. Yeah. Right? And as a mother, that just brings me like just a deep sense of, what's the word confidence Mm. that they're going to be okay out in the world because they know how to honor their no. And they also don't see no as a personal thing. So when they also know how to receive no's, Mm. they know that love and care is still there. Yeah. I had to take four decades to learn that. (laughs) (laughs) That's still good. Still ahead of the game. Yeah, so good. <laughs> um, but that's what makes me happy when I work with parents and, you know, they're so exasperated with their children saying no and not not being agreeable and obeying. I like to help them see what skill they're helping them grow in life by being able to say, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. No, this is not for me. Right? Yeah. And over time, we can teach them how to share their nose in uh, a more respectful and loving way because two-year-olds, that's not their priority. 
respectful, loving language. (laughs) Right. But they can learn that part over time. But if we don't give them space to say the no's, it's a lot more time and effort to help them find their no again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. And there'll be, so you, you said agreeableness, which made me think of the big five personality traits and be curious how that shows up differently for children with just different personality traits, how big that no is, how adamant, if there's space within it. It's so neat because even if I look at my kids, like I feel like with my younger one, I need to help him find his no more often. He's more easygoing and agreeable. And that's a great trait unless it's like going against what you believe to be true and what you need in that moment. Right. My older one, he's very good at no. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm helping him lean into yeses Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Right. Or like you said, a little bit more flexibility in that. No. How about like right now and maybe later. Right. Or Mm. no, not like this, but how about this? Right. And I think, yeah, there's temperament that's involved as well. Right. Of a person. And we're going to have different things that come more easily and different things that we need to practice a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think those are all like human ingredients that form this beautiful pie of society. And I want us to honor those personality traits or our ways of, um, I th- I'm sure people something think of them as limitations. Um, I'm thinking about Kai versus Luca asking for a raise when they're adults or putting their foot down about something, you know, they're going to have different ways of doing it. And I really want to emphasize that none of the ways are bad or wrong. They're all just our ways. And I really believe that all of those ways are needed. Yeah. They're, they're needed. And like Kai is going to bring to the world, like some sort of fire. Like I, I, I know like he's a truth teller and, and that's such a great trait. And also we're practicing with him. Like, well, let's also take into consideration th- these other elements, right? Is there a way that you can tell the truth in a way that might not be, um, <laughs> so offensive or hurtful because it's also important to take into account someone else's feelings. Yeah. Right. See, and I can imagine, like I can imagine you telling him that and his response being like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Great. I'll do that. Whereas my response might be more like, Oh, I did the thing wrong. I could have done it better. I should have done it better. And then like receding into myself and disappearing and shutting down. Well, I would have been the same. I would have felt any type of feedback or suggestion was a personal criticism and attack. Yeah. And I've messed it up. Right. And I remember, you know, talking to Kai and this is a kid who just values truth so much. Like I wrote a blog post on this because in his mind, truth telling is a love language. Yes. And he is less attuned to people's facial expressions and sort of maybe context. And he's just a truth teller. If he feels like he's a better hockey player than you, this is when he was young. He'd be like, I'm better than you. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't mean like 
like it, it just would have no personal valuing mm-hmm. element. It was just, I'm better. Yeah. And, you know, I remember recently talking to him at hockey tryouts. I was like, that might factually be true, but it's also important to notice whether it's necessary to say those things and whether it's kind and whether it's helpful. Right. <laughs> and he said the funniest thing back to me. He's like, yeah, mom, I know that. I'm not five anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Amazing. That's what's really beautiful is he's hung on to the part of who he is, who's just a natural truth teller. Mm-hmm. And he's learned to sort of soften some of those edges based on context and situations when it might be needed or helpful. Yeah. Right. That's making me think of the ways that we receive objective truth. So, and here's another way that you and I are different. You would be working on the way you deliver so that it can be better received. Mm-hmm. And I'd be working on the ways that I receive so that I cannot be hurt by whatever's delivered. Right. And I see a lot of that. And I identify with Kai so much like truth telling is definitely my love language. Mm-hmm. Um So there's something in there about the ways that we receive facts. How do facts, just objective facts, impact us? What stories do we make about them? Mm -hmm. Um, I remember an exercise we did in women's group that I was just appalled by initially. And then it was so impactful. And I was like, "Can, can you even do this? Like, is this legal? And it was just simply a woman stands in the middle of the circle and we all make objective observations about her physical body. Oh, I remember that exercise. And it was things like the examples. So they they started out giving us these examples and I was like, oh, can you say that to a person? It was like, I see a woman with small breasts. It's like, oh, <laughs> she has small breasts. Like, what, what will she do now? Like, did she know she had small breasts? Are we all judging? Like, all this, my brain just exploded about the simple fact of, this woman has been told she has observably small breasts. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And How does someone receive that fact? Receive that as a fact. And I yeah. had to really practice this um, because there was just so much criticism and comparison growing up, like for me. And I took it all so personally. And I had yeah. to catch myself. Like, is it objectively true what this person said to me? I'm like, well, actually it is. (laughs) And that's it. It's just a fact. That's all. You know, I'm the one sitting here making it mean all sorts of terrible things about myself and about this other person and about our relationship when that's not what's going on. Right. And I remember looking around. So like a baby looks around to see how they're supposed to react. I remember I was just boom, boom, looking around at everybody's reactions And that's also one of the beautiful things about doing this work in group is to observe all the various reactions that a person might be having. And I could see all the other people who were making up stories and their eyes were flitting around. We're all looking at each other like, oh, did she just say that? Like, are you allowed to say that? And then there were people who just received it. There was no, they were just like, oh, yes, there's a fact. You know, it's the same thing as saying I'm taller than you. Like, what's the problem? Mm -hmm. It opened up so many levels of possibility. Mm Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, I think, uh, what one of Kai's friends has naturally learned to do is he just knows Kai's a truth teller and it's not about hurting my feelings, right? It's just, he's going to tell me the truth 
and I'm not going to take it personally. Yeah. And it's really lovely to see like 12 year old boys having that kind of awareness and permission giving to their friends to just be who they are. Mm-hmm. Right. And then also if he feels like, dude, this is enough with your truth telling, he'd tell Kai. That's important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think we can get really confused about truth and love and sharing. And I know I've been in relationships, especially when I wasn't so connected to telling my truth. I've sought out people who are very direct and to the point. Um, And that can be in, in mean ways sometimes and discovering the discernment um, between someone who's just delivering their truth. And like, there can be, meanness and put like what's underneath it for people is really important um, to discover, to take the time to discover. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We had intended to do a slightly shorter episode. We liked, we liked to talk. That didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How's your body? Let's everybody take a second to check in with your body. Feel your bum on the chair. Feel your feet on the ground. Give your body whatever movement it's asking for right now. And wonder if there's anything else you want to say before we wrap up with practice. Just notice if you're going to the butcher for a cake. And to the bakery for a steak. <laughs> Gold right there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a practice you want to share? Do you want me to share something? I do actually have one. Um, so this is specifically around tension in what are these? Trapezius muscles? I don't know. Somewhere up above your shoulder between your neck <laughs> and your shoulder. Yes. <laughs> So with neck tension and with just with tension, generally, we're often holding a lot of tension that we're not paying attention to attention to. Um, So we'll do this stretchy and massaging the neck thing and massaging the trapezius. And there's a way to release this that helps align with our nervous system uh, so that our body actually relaxes instead of just this in the moment relaxation. So what we're going to do is one shoulder at a time. Let's start with the left shoulder. You're going to very slowly, I'm going to count to 10, mm-hmm. and you're slowly going to raise your shoulder up as high as it can go to your ear over the course of that 10 count. Okay, so slow movement. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Now clench your shoulder up there against your ear for a 10 count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and a release 10 count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. And we're going to do the other side. 
Right shoulder up for a 10 count up to the ear. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Clench against the ear. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And a slow release. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This slowly demonstrates to our body that there is going to be actual release as opposed to the placating release we try to give with the little stretches mm. and it's an actual reset i felt that reset yeah. i felt like i'm like oh it's like this layer of fog lifted or something mm. a layer of fog that i wasn't present to yeah and also that felt like sesame street for nervous system regulation <laughs> one two uh, uh, uh. I like the song. One, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven, twelve. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> it's very calming to hear you count. Hmm, good. Okay. Anything outstanding? That makes me think of tax accountant life. <laughs> There's nothing outstanding. Thank you for asking. All right. Meeting adjourned. Okay, then we will see you next week. So as usual, like, follow and subscribe. And if anything we've said here today has been helpful for you, please share with somebody you care about. See you next time. Next time. Bye. Bye.